So are we really doing this? Yep. Too late to turn back now. The music already started. Welcome, everyone, to the Gov Navigators podcast, a government-focused podcast that won't make you seasick. We're the Gov Navigators. I'm Robert Shea. And I'm Adam Hughes. We hope to enlighten and enliven your week with news and insightful, entertaining guests, all on the topic of government management. Enjoy today's episode of Gov Navigators, brought to you by the creative geniuses behind the award-winning podcast, FedHead. Another episode of the Gov Navigators podcast. I'm Robert Shea. And I'm Adam Hughes. Uh, Robert, how was your Easter? Uh, it was very good. What about you? It was very relaxing, a really lovely day, and uh, uh, plenty plenty for us to celebrate. Uh, yeah, I bet uh, I bet y'all did an Easter egg hunt. We're beyond that. I, uh, my kids are not only beyond that, they're, they're not even at the house. So the only, the only things we would be hiding eggs for would be squirrels that's that can be dangerous we we used to put little jelly beans as many people do in the easter eggs and I can't remember what year a few years ago i had found one a few years later that um the jelly beans were surprisingly still intact after years wow. of sitting outside in a plastic egg it probably says something about uh, preservatives anyway congress was out for the week and uh, but a surprisingly lot of newsworthy things happened. What did you track? Well, big news from OMB, fairly significant. One might even call it massive regulatory overhaul from OIRA, the Office of Information and Regulatory Affairs. I thought that was a pretty big deal, really focused on trying to get more uh, inclusivity, particularly in the commenting period, which I think is pretty important in the way that the government uh, publishes and reviews regulations. Yeah, they also softened the measurability of cost and benefits a little bit. That will be controversial. Something I also watched was the Department of Labor Inspector General issued a menacing letter to states saying they need to be careful in their use of identity verification technology to ensure it protects privacy and equity. That's a timely release, too, particularly considering our guest today. More more on that later. Uh, we have a great guest coming up. Robert, you probably saw some headlines from the IRS last week, too. That's right. Our friend Danny Werfel has been sworn in as commissioner for less than a month, and he just released a more than 150-page plan on IRS reform, spending a lot of the investment they got out of the Inflation Reduction Act. Made huge headlines. I couldn't help but think about Richard Pryor. In Brewster's millions, <laughs> and he's trying to figure out how to spend eighty billion dollars as quickly as possible. That is a dated reference, my friend, <laughs> but it's perfect. What are they going to spend those tens of billions of dollars on? That's right. But seriously, that they've made some commitments that are not new. You know, improving service, resolving taxpayer issues more expeditiously, focusing enforcement on high earners. Um, improving their technology and then retaining qualified people. But to, to your point, they've, they've got lots of money to spend to get this done. And you've probably felt this too. Danny Werfel's been there before. He knows where all the bodies are buried. So he can probably hit the ground running faster than other commissioners might have been able to. I don't think there's any doubt about that. And I also think, you know, that particularly when we've been talking about deficit and deficit reduction and raising the debt ceiling, a lot of times uh, funding for the IRS comes up in those debates. Uh, the 
taxpayer advocate at the IRS in the Treasury Department and GAO and other studies have shown that investing money in proper a properly functioning IRS does more to reduce the deficit than many almost anything else that can be done. But I think I heard you say we don't need to raise the debt limit now. <laughs> Just, I'm not sure there's that much money being invested at the IRS. <laughs> Probably. Anyway. Well, we're going to get to that debate later this year. Yeah. So anyway, well, well, we'll be following that closely. We'll, maybe we'll try to get Danny on the on the podcast. But uh, you mentioned our next guest in light of the Department of Labor IG report on identity verification. Let's uh, let's wrap this up and talk to Linda. This week, Gov Navigators are lucky to host our dear friend and the CEO of a new venture, Audient Group, Linda Miller, perhaps the world's preeminent expert on fraud. And uh, if you're going to be fraud expert at a certain time in history, I would say this would have to be it. It's probably the most important time to know exactly the things that Linda knows. And Linda, we're so excited to have you on today. Welcome back to, I'm sorry, welcome to Gov Navigators. (laughs) Thanks. It's so good to be here with Gov Navigators. Thanks for having me. There's so much to talk about, but first, tell us what you're up to. What 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 is Audient Group? Audient Group is a fraud-focused consultancy that I just started. I'm on day 10, I think, of having started this company and um, helping government agencies at the federal, state, and local level, as well as commercial organizations, think about how to proactively prevent and detect fraud which, as you mentioned, Robert, is one of the most important areas that we're seeing now affecting government. I think, actually, in my opinion, the fraud problem has been here all along, but now finally people are starting to pay attention to it. And so I'm not happy about all the fraud that happened during the pandemic, but it does give me an opportunity to be able to finally be heard, which is, by the way, the name of my company, Audient Group, is... uh, Latin for they will listen. And so the the goal I have here is to make sure that whenever I'm working with a client, I'm listening to understand their problem before solving it, which I think in consulting, sometimes we don't do as good a job with that as we could. So 10 days in, and it's it's everything you ever wanted it to be and more, I assume, yeah? It is. Yeah. Yeah. I answer just to myself. In the morning, I wake up and I ask myself what I want to do today, and I do that. It's great. Sounds great. Maybe a little bit different from uh, your your time at GAO and the PRAC and uh, Grant Thornton, for sure. Tell us a little bit about what are you working on in the fraud space right now? What's sort of the, the burning issue for you? I just got back, actually, from a conference out in Las Vegas that was put on by the Identity Theft Resource Center. And uh, so identity theft-based fraud is kind of a hot topic right now. We're seeing a lot of action and movement in that space. Obviously, a lot of the fraud that took place during the pandemic was identity theft-based, whether that was unemployment assistance fraud or PPP loan fraud or even some of the economic impact payment fraud that the IRS put out. A lot of identity theft, and I think the government was caught largely unawares of how significant of an issue and how vulnerable they were to that. And so there's a lot of smart people now looking at this, where before it wasn't a topic of high priority. The administration put out its anti-fraud strategy, cybersecurity strategy, 
the Hill's hosting hearings on the topic and legislation is moving or is going to start to move. What policies are you watching most closely? What should people be paying attention to in the policymaking realm in this area? There's a lot of focus on identity access protocols and requirements put out by NIST right now. There was a a whole kerfuffle a year ago, almost exactly, uh, at the IRS with a company called IDME, who got into some trouble when people started realizing they were using facial recognition in ways that many were concerned violated privacy. And ever since then, there's been a hot discussion about whether or not facial recognition biometrics are necessary to prevent fraud. And uh, if they are, how can we prevent, how can we both protect privacy, but also improve access and, and, and ensure equity? Because there are an awful lot of people in the government space that are applying for benefits for whom providing remote verification of their identity, a selfie through some sort of computer or handheld device, whether they even have the documentation necessary. You know, we have, we're, we're giving benefits out to some members of vulnerable populations. So there's a lot of challenges in that process. And there's also a great deal of concern about privacy. And so what we're looking at right now is NIST is revising the guidance around whether or not what's considered to be biometrics are necessary for fraud prevention. A lot of people feel strongly one way or the other. And in my opinion, the Pareto principle applies here. I think the remote biometrics where we're using uh, selfies and mobile devices uh, to verify documents, that works for probably 80% of the population. People who have smartphones and are savvy enough to be able to to, to follow these processes, but it's not going to work for 20% of the population. And we do need to solve that problem for those 20%. And I think those who would say it has to be a facial biometric, that that is an argument that's past its expiration date. And I think we have to start thinking about a a both and, not an either or solution. Well, I know uh, I have some friends who are at NIST and uh, have have followed NIST and their important role for quite some time. But a kerfuffle with the folks at NIST is not something you want to get into. That's my personal advice. Linda, tell tell us a little bit about how long is this process going to take until, or in your estimation, until we get additional details on the new administration proposal? I and mean, we're still waiting for those, I think. I know the NIST process takes a while. I think it's still open for public comment, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, what's the timeline for this kind of stuff? Are we talking summer, fall, next year? What, what's your guess? My guess would only be a guess because we expected the executive order coming out of the White House sometime uh, in the last 12 months, and it's been 12 months since they first teased us that it was coming and it's still not out. So um, things are very delayed. I think the NIST, the NIST guidance probably is, is, I think summer, late summer is probably, is probably a good estimate that they're going to close that comment period next month. And so we will have the opportunity, I think they'll have the opportunity to, to incorporate those comments and put out some draft guidance by, I would expect, late summer. Um, but what the White House decides to do with login.gov, pushing login.gov as a single sign-on capability, or whether um, they they are they're going to go in a different direction, and there's a lot of speculation about that. And I don't I don't know when the White House is going to finally let us know what they're thinking on that. Linda, we've reviewed the president's budget pretty closely, and the customer experience initiatives they've been driving 
over the last year were featured prominently. Major investments in customer experience, trying to smooth, improve the experience Americans have with government. One of the major pieces of sludge in that those processes is uh, identity verification, eligibility verification. Talk about the balance agencies have to do between security, fraud prevention, while also trying to make the process for accessing needed benefits smooth as possible. That's a good point. And I think that's one of the reasons why the facial recognition biometric process uh, is going to is going to have a, a it's going to be challenging in the long term. Banks and 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 other private sector entities have gotten quite good at doing this and making it easy for you. In the private sector space, they call this friction. So when you anything you're adding to the layers where somebody is trying to log into an account, if it makes it harder and harder, that's creating friction for that customer. You create too much friction, they choose to have a different uh, bank or a different a different company. And so they've figured out how to make this very frictionless. The way to do that is is to check a lot of data right at the front end. And there is an awful lot of data available to check. So, for example, if you're looking for a synthetic identity, this is a big issue right now in identity theft-based fraud, uh, this notion of synthetic identity where it's not necessarily just a completely stolen identity. It's, it's pieces of real and fabricated identities that are put together to make a synthetic identity. There are data checks you can do very quickly in real time that will tell you the likelihood that an identity is synthetic. So, for example, the social security number, you can check quickly to find out that that social security number was created after the person's birthday. That's a pretty good indicator that 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 is not a real identity. You can do that in milliseconds with the right data sets. And so these are the kinds of things that you can do that agencies could put in place that are data-driven, frictionless and almost uh, immediate real-time checks. And I think that's where we really need to go. I think data, so solving this problem through co- the, the use of, of a lot of different triangulated data sources is going to make both a, a better customer experience and a more high-fidelity fraud check than asking people to go through these, these biometric checks, which, again, I don't think, uh, I mean, I think they help. They're a layer, but there's got to be a lot of layers, and a lot of those layers really do need to be data-driven. You and I have talked about that a good deal, particularly over the last few years. We've gone to the Hill to talk to people about it. Uh, and it's in the government space, very challenging because it's a technology issue. It's an access to data issue. It's a policy issue, trying to make sure that these checks can be done across agencies, across programs. It's, as you said, obviously the right thing to do. But getting that in place in government is a uh, certainly a much more challenging goal to try to achieve than it would be if you were just running a service with your bank and you kind of controlled the environment all more holistically, right? Absolutely. And that's why I think that's where all the focus really should be. The focus should be on trying to solve these data challenges. It's data access, it's data sharing, and it's data use. All of those are broken in government right now. Agencies aren't collecting the data they need to collect. They aren't, they're, they're precluded from sharing it by a variety of Byzantine and outdated privacy laws that need to be changed. And they don't have the data science capabilities or tools to use the data effectively. And so we need to solve the collection, the sharing, and the use of data problem in government if we want to solve the fraud problem in government. And I don't think that the problem of fraud, by the way, gets solved, but it is so massive right now. And I just think we're not moving in the right direction if we're not 
looking at this data problem as priority number one. What are you optimistic about? Uh, I'm optimistic that people are really paying attention now. I mean, the hearings you mentioned, the bills that are being that are being introduced, the the budget. I mean, I can't remember last time I saw in my whole career fraud prevention and dollar figures put together in one budget proposal from the White House. I mean, it's it's exciting for me to see that the White House is is moving toward caring about this and, and resourcing this. It would have made my heart uh, sing a little bit higher song. Uh, had they talked about fraud prevention in the management side of government instead of focusing fraud prevention in the IGs, because the IGs can't prevent fraud. So while I'm here, I'd be remiss if I didn't say again that it, you, you know the IGs have a super important mission. GAO has a super important mission, but neither of them, their mission is not involved with preventing fraud. That is not their job. They have no ability to do that. They have an independence requirement not to be involved in prevention. So if you want to prevent fraud, you need to put the money and the effort into the management side of government where the transactional data can be used to identify and prevent fraudulent transactions before it happens. Well, thanks so much for being one of the first guests on GovNavigators. You've obviously got a lot on your plate. We're going to be watching you closely. We'll have you on in a few more months to see how things are going, see if you've solved this problem. Yeah, I think we'll have it solved in another couple of months. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to this episode of the GovNavigators podcast, brought to you by GovNavigators. We sure hope you enjoyed it and learned something in the process. And didn't get seasick. Right, of course. If you want to know more about us and what we're up to, please visit GovNavigators.com. Ahoy! Oh, jeez. <laughs>